Okay, never mind. <laughs> it's like a little graphic. Um, praise God. So today, uh, as I was preparing, this sermon has actually really, really spoken to my heart because I've always had a question about love versus the law, right? And how do we balance that? Because most of us who grew up in church, we understand the law really well. We understand the rules and the regulations. We especially understand what we should do and what we should not do. Uh, but there's a there's actually a very clear distinction in the word of God between the, the love and the law. And so today we're going to start in Matthew chapter, we're going to study Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 40. And let's open in prayer. Abba Father, I just thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for this word. Father, I ask, Lord Jesus, that today, Lord Jesus, that you will bring understanding into our hearts, Lord that we will understand even greater how important it is to understand what love is, Lord Jesus, way beyond what this world has taught us and our, our, our minute understanding of it, Lord. But to begin to understand the magnitude of love the way you've shown it to us, the way you created it to be, Lord. And Lord, I ask Lord, that our hearts have no ability to comprehend this on our own. So I ask for your Holy Spirit today to speak into our hearts, to bring that understanding into each heart itself, Lord. That, Father, we will begin to see what that means so that it will transform our lives. So that our lives today will never be the same again, but it will transform into something new. Father, we love you and we give this time into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Video? Did I turn on my video? Oh, thank you. Okay. I think my ear video is on. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. I'll go ahead and read this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the experts. They were the keepers and the interpreters of the law. They, they were the authority, right? They were the rule makers and they kept a close eye on the rules, but they ignored the intent of the rules, right? So naturally, when Jesus came teaching the word of God, they thought, well, this is my area. Let me question you on it. And, you know, as I was, and the reason why I've always had this question is because a real question has always arisen in my heart. Why is there so much discrepancy? And I've, we've talked about this before. So much discrepancy within the body on the word of God. Across cultures, across denominations, across churches. Why is there so much discrepancy if we all read the same word of God, right? We should always question that. And, and that's why we always need to have a heart that's constantly learning. Just because, you know, I grew up in a traditional, traditional church, very traditional, where things were set a certain way. And it has been like that for many, many years. So you just don't question it, right? It's called, it's called tradition. It's called religion. I grew up in religion. And then when I turned 13, I got saved. And then I went to a church that was completely charismatic, where there was no religion, there was no tradition, everything was new. And, and this, it was so different. And the first in, in, in the first, um, the first imp implication I got from that is what I did before was wrong. Right? But we should question that. Was it entirely wrong? Is what I'm doing now entirely right? Right? As a Christian, it is our responsibility to know for ourselves, Every step of our way in our Christian walk is what we are doing pleasing to God. Doesn't matter what it pleases other people, right? Because you see, we're not going to stand before people to be judged before God. We are going to stand before God. But it's what I'm doing right now, pleasing to God. And Jesus, when he came in Matthew 22, he came teaching the word of God. And he came teaching it because he came to fulfill the law, right? And so the first thing he said, the most important thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, that is very contrary to what the Pharisees had been teaching. The Pharisees had not been teaching you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart. They had been teaching you are to obey 
all these rules and all these laws. And they kind of made it up as they went, right? Because they were the lawmakers. So as they went, they kind of made things up. And that's why there's so much tradition. And you see that right in churches, you know, uh, in churches, every church has their own tradition. Every denomination has their own culture. Why is it so different if we all read the same word of God? Jesus spoke further in Matthew 23, 23. He said, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the most important things. They are very careful to do what looks good on the outside, but they're whitewashed tombs in the sense that they had dead bodies on the inside and they didn't care. You see, we are conditioned. We spoke about this on Friday night at our Bible study too. We are conditioned as humans to look good. Our parents raised us this way, right? Be good, do good, look good, make good, right? And so we are so conditioned to do that. But the important thing to understand is if you are not good on the inside, you will never be good on the outside. It's a real struggle. And so Jesus challenged the Pharisees and the Sadducees at the very core of who they were. So you know the law, but who are you? What are you on the inside? Jesus did not come to abolish the law of Moses, right? He didn't come to do that, or the writings of the prophets, but he came to accomplish, to fulfill the purpose. So when we study the scripture today, I want to start from the bottom and go up. So let's study the law first. Like what is what does it mean by the entire law? And all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So verse 40, we'll start with verse 40. <clears throat> so the law, the entire law is the no, is the word, uh, the, the Greek word is nomos. It's outlined in the first five books of the scripture, the Pentateuch. And it's the basis of Christian religion. That is the law on which all Christianity started, right? Across every religion. It is this nomos that the Levitical priests used to lead the Israelites in and, and the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes held to some form of legalism of the same law, right? And living in America, we know that law can actually be interpreted in many different ways, right? You know that if you have been convicted of something and you go to a court of law, the law can be interpreted according to how good your attorney is, right? Not necessarily to the letter of the law, but basically to your benefit, right? So the law without purpose or the law without insight of the law without love can be very different. It's taken in context of the time. Now, God created the law. The first reason is it's a guardrail. I actually had a picture and I, I don't have it now, but um, the law is meant to be a guardrail. So let's read Galatians chapter three. I have it up on the slide, um, 3, 24 to 26. It says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came, and it protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that that way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now to some they say, oh, sweet, Ten Commandments isn't apply anymore, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't have to worry about that anymore. But that's absolutely not what it means, right? The law was meant to set a guardrail, you know, Children, when you raise them up, need boundaries. A child without boundaries is a very insecure child. You raise that child up to be very, to feel very unsafe and very insecure. Children with boundaries grow up secure and capable, right? It's the same thing. It's like, you know, I was thinking last night, I'm like, what is an example of that? Water. Have you guys been, has anybody been to Snoqualmie to see the water? The, so water, a waterfall in its own is beautiful. Right, but it, it, the only purpose of it is to pass the water through. But what they did at Snoqualmie Falls is they channeled that water, right, to garner its power. So they put boundaries and they were able to capture energy from it. So when you, when you put boundaries around something, you actually position it to move in a direction that you want it to move so that it doesn't go out of it. And then there's a benefit that comes back from it, right? The entire law was created as a guardrail for us. That's the purpose of the law. It wasn't created to just put restrictions in our life. You know, as kids or as teenagers, we're like, oh, so many things I cannot do, right? I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this. But that's not the purpose. The purpose was to 
protect us, right? You know, when you take a child to wa a water body of water, you're not going to just let the child go and go, all right, bye, see you in a bit. The first thing you'd be like, don't go near the water, stay five steps away from the water, don't go near the rocks, don't go near this, don't go, you set boundaries. And the child knows immediately, okay, this is my safe space, this is where I can go. If you don't do that, you will have a hurt or dead child on your hand. It's as simple as that. We all know that inherently, we know that. So we know we need boundaries. And that's what these boundaries, the law was created by God to give us these boundaries, to give us standards, right? To give us, and, and in Genesis and Galatians 3, it says it was our guardian until Christ came. It was what kept us in, on the path with God until Christ came. In Romans 7, 7, 7 chapter 7, verse 7, tonight, I'm going to ask somebody in the room to read it. Um, how about Brian? Can you read that for me? Yeah, you can read it up there if you can see it, or you can read it up the front. Okay. <laughs> A lot bigger on my laptop. <laughs> seven, seven. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 to 9. Uh, well then, uh, am I sure for suggesting that the uh, laws <clears throat> God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that when the burden is wrong, if the law had not said it, it must not come. Oh. Covet. 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 Good job. The sin used to men to arouse all kinds of covetous. Covetous. Desires within me. If um, there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet for um, instance, the power of sin came, uh, came to life. Amen. The law exists to show us our sin, right? So there's some things that we know inherently this is sinful. There's some things that we do and we feel this is sinful. But when we know the law of God, we know these are things that are not right. It's not right for me to covet. It's not right for me to steal. It's not right for me to, to take something that's not mine or to murder. It's not right for me to do this. It's not right for me to call the name of the Lord in vain. It's not right for me to not honor my mother and father. Those things are not right. Now that I know those, I won't do them anymore, right? Those, it, it, it tells us what sin is. It's a standard. It gives us a standard in our life, you know? Without standards, when you drive down the road, you wouldn't stop at stop signs, right? You wouldn't stop at, at, uh, at traffic lights, right? You wouldn't yield, and there would be many accidents. So we need those standards in our lives to protect us as well. There, there's a reason for that, right? We need to recognize right from wrong. If I'm getting angry with somebody, I know it's wrong for me to kill them. Right. So I know I need to deal with it. So that's why the law exists. It's to let us know when we sin. Now, there's no need for guardrails before the fall because there was no sin. Right. So there was no law until after the fall. But it's with Jesus Christ. It's important that we recognize that our redemption from him is what makes us right. It's not the fact that we obeyed the law. Right. And the first thing we realize as Christians is that it doesn't matter how good we are. Maybe I haven't done anything wrong in my life. I've been a really good person all my life. You know, so when I come to God, I'm actually, I could look back and go, well, I know, God, I'm probably one of your easier cases, right? <laughs> I haven't done anything wrong. So, yeah, I just, you know, let me, let me slide on by. That's not it. We have to know that um, we are not made right by God because of what we've done in compliance with the law, but it's because of Jesus Christ. So the law is there to exist to just to show us, but the law does not make us righteous. Obedience to the law doesn't make us righteous. Jesus Christ does. Uh, let's read Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Uh, I'm going to go around. Jimmy, can you get that one? It's not up there. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. I'm going to go online next. Yeah, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Amen. So compliance is not the compliance of the law or or saying that I've done everything you asked me to do, God, is not what makes us right. I I went to church, God, 
that's not what makes us right. I, I, I haven't hurt anybody, God. That's not what makes us right. What makes us right is God. It's Jesus Christ, right? And so then now it's like, how do I reconcile the law and my relationship with God? How do I bring those two things together, right? Because you're telling me that just by doing right, all this time I've been working so hard to be Christian. I've been working so hard to do the right thing. And now you're telling me that's not enough, right? It's like, what, what am I supposed to do, right? I've been working so hard. Well, you know what? The Israelites worked really, really hard, and then they failed, and then they worked hard, and they failed, right? And just like, just like what we do sometimes. They did what was right out of their own effort, and then they failed. And that's why when we read about them, and we read about their lives, and, and throughout the Bible, we always like, what the key, like what, why do you keep making the same mistake again? It's because they're always trying to do what was right without with forgetting the most important part. When we read Matthew 22 just now, it started off with what is the what is the most important commandment? That is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That sorry, did somebody say something? Oh, maybe it was just me. And when we look at the law, I started with the law because that's where we always start. We start with what can I do? Right? You know, um, when we were in China many, many years ago, and people, it was very easy to, it was easier to lead people to Christ. And you just tell them, you need to, my friend, she, this is how we translate it. She's like, you need to accept Jesus Christ into your life. If you don't, you're going to die and go to hell. And they're like, okay, I'll accept Jesus Christ into my life. But the next question they ask is, what do I do? Right? And that's our question too. It's like every time you tell somebody, you're walking in sin, you need to write your life, right? Uh, you know, let me walk alongside you. The next question is, what do I do? Right. What do I do? And and we do have to do something. We have to make a choice, but it's not our action of what we do next. It's the act of understanding that Jesus is the one that comes in and actually saves us. Now, how am I supposed to understand what that means? How am I supposed to know what it feels like to have Jesus come into my life and make that change for me? We're going to go to Hebrews chapter nine. And we're going to read verse 22 to 28. So, Jaden, can you get that one? Oh, actually, sorry, I'm going to go online. Uh, Naeem, are you there? I'm currently working. Okay. I'm just listening in. Okay, all right, you're good. Uh, let's see who else. Okay, Angie, are you there? Or Boshan, one of you guys. Yeah, I'm here. Do you mind reading that, Washam? Hebrews 9, 22 to 28. I only have up to 23 on the slides. So you might need to pull your, your um, Bible out for that. All right. Hold on. Hebrew 9, 22 to 28. Okay. In fact, according to the new law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the, by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. Verse 24. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all, but now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Verse 27. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. Amen. So, 
the law can't redeem us, right? So we can follow the law, but the law is not going to save us. The law is not going to be. So it's, like, it's just like the law we have right now. We have laws that protect us in this country, right? But if we go into a court of law and we are held up against the standard of the law, it is it's dependent on the judge and the attorney to save us. They are the ones who decide our fate. The law is there as a guide. It's the same thing with Christ. The law is there to guide us, but the real redemption of the law only comes from Jesus Christ. So actually what happened before Christ is even though the people obeyed the law, they still had to be an atonement of blood for their sin. It's blood for blood. Our God is a just God. You know, it's an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, right? I was sharing yesterday, I was reading in Exodus um, that the the law requires death for death, injury for injury. You know, a lot of times we require the same things. Like, you hurt me, I hurt you too. Not like that, right? But but that's that's the law. That's God is a just God. You see, the thing is that we deserve death. We do. Because of our sin, we are born into death. But Jesus took that death once and for all. And so because of that, we never have to face death again. And this is why forgiveness is so important. You know, more and more in my life, I realize we cannot have unforgiveness in our life. I shared on um, Friday night with the girls, I say, if you have unforgiveness in your life, it's not okay. It's not okay. You can't. It's sin. It will hinder you. If you have unforgiveness in your life, it will hinder you from growing. Right? You know, the one thing that I'm constantly, constantly praying about is like, where is this unforgiveness? Is there unforgiveness in my heart that's not there? I need to deal with it. Because that is the one sin that will always bring us down. Because we can justify it. Of course, I can be I, I can be angry with this person. They hurt me so bad. But you see, the sin you committed requires death. You deserve death. God took that death away from you. Jesus died on the cross to take that death away from you, so that you don't have to feel death. You know. In reading Exodus 21, it was I was telling um, when we went out yesterday, I was telling him, you know, if your ox kills a man, the ox dies, right? Or mauls a man, the ox dies. If the ox repeatedly mauls people, the ox dies, you die. That's pretty serious, right? Nowadays, if your dog bites somebody, owner of the ox. Yeah, the owner of the ox, right? The if your dog bites somebody, the dog dies. The owner never dies, right? We just don't do that. But God is just. You took a life, your life goes. That's, it's, it's equal. He's a just God. And so all that death that is, that is ready and available for us, Jesus has taken all that away. That's why we get to live. Not only do we get to live on this earth and live a blessed life, we get to live eternally with him. We don't lose our eternity with God. We don't lose what we were created for. We were created to spend eternity with God. We don't lose that because Jesus did it for us. And sometimes we can take it for granted so easily because it's free. But there was a price paid. Right? And as we mature as Christians, we need to understand that price was a price that we could never pay. <clears throat> so we see the law was necessary, but we needed Jesus to perfect the law. Right? But... You know, often we still live by the law. We we abide by our don'ts and don't don't do this and don't do that. And then we forget the reason behind it. And every now and then we get frustrated. You know, there's a long time ago I ministered to a girl for many many years. She said, "I grew up my whole life abiding by all my parents' rules." She said, "I've always been the good girl. Everyone else in my church did what they wanted to do." She said, "I've always been the good girl." <laughs> but when she turned 18, she's like, "I'm done being good." And she turned away from God. And I was thinking, wow, that's so sad. Because she lived her whole life doing what was right because she thought that was the right thing to do. And then she finally thought, well, now I have my freedom. I'll do whatever I want. But that means you spent your whole life doing, abiding by your don'ts and you didn't even know why you were doing it. Don't abide by your don'ts if you don't know why you're doing it. Question your don'ts. Why does God tell us not to do it? Why are those guardrails there? What is it protecting us from? You no, know, a guardrail, if you go on, on, at the edge of a cliff, you appreciate the guardrail so that you don't accidentally fall over, right? You don't drive your car off a cliff. 
guardrails exist to protect us. Why does God put those guardrails in our life? Why do we have standards in our life? What is it protecting us from? Instead of looking at the standards and going, oh, all these things I can't do, right? <clears throat> so now we understand the law exists. It's there to protect us. It's there to show us what we, we sin, but the law can't redeem us. That's why we don't live by. We don't live. We don't have to live by the law anymore. Now we live under Christ. But how? That concept, how do we live under Christ? Now, it's such a great thing to say in church, like we all live under Christ, but the realization of that has to come in our heart. What does that look like to us, right? You know, in Christ, there is a lot of freedom. And sometimes when I say that, I see, I didn't know what that mean, meant for a long time. What does that mean there's a lot of freedom in Christ? Right? We have to understand, what does that mean? Does that mean I get to choose what I want to do within the rules? Or can I just choose whatever I want to do and God covers all? And some people take that interpretation. They say, you know, I've been saved once. So that means when I have freedom in God, no, I can't be unsaved. Be careful with that. Be very careful with that. That is a very dangerous doctrine. Okay, but we're going to move on to this. It says, the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And when I read this, it says, in my fallen state, how do I love God with all my heart, my soul, and my mind? It's not just words that come out of my mouth. If you love God with all your heart, that means there's no place in your heart for anything else. It's all your heart. That means you look like a very different person. Your priorities are different. Your choices are different. The way you talk is different. The way you think is different, right? To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your spirit, that means everything that you feel, everything that you intend, it's all surrounded around the love of God. What about all your mind? Nah, it's a, that's, a, that's a challenging one. Every single thought that goes through your head, every single thought that goes through your head is submitted to God. Like, wow, that takes a lot of effort. Yes, it does. Because in our fallen states, it's very hard for us to do. Right? And so I asked God, I said, can you help me understand this? So in Jeremiah 17, 9, I'm going to have, I see, can you read that? And then Mayana, can you read Joel chapter 2, verse 13? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the Jeremiah 17 says, my heart is inherently evil. And yet God tells me to love God with my evil heart, my inherently evil heart. Right? So let's go to Joel chapter 2, verse 13. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, bounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Amen. So God wants me to love him with this inherently evil heart. And the only way I can do that is if I come to him in repentance. In order for me to love God with all my heart, I have to first start with acknowledging that my heart's evil. I don't have the ability to love God with all my heart unless I come to him in repentance first. My heart has to be broken. It says rend your heart and not your garments. Rend your heart. It's like tear your heart, right? It's like, like let your heart be so broken before God, acknowledging the fact that I am a wicked person and I come before you and this is how I can learn to love you with all my heart. See, this heart, our heart being evil, we protect ourselves first, always. We protect our best interests always first. You may say, I'm not a selfish person. You know, especially for those of us that are moms, we're like, what do you mean selfish? I took care of this little human being for the rest, you know, for like, we're not selfish people. No, we are selfish people. It is inherently in us. We will always self-protect first. A self-protective heart that protects ourselves, that's an evil heart. 
if we submit, but God says, love me with all your heart, that means I got to take that self-protection off. I got to take all that protection off. And now I got to love God with that. How do I do that? I have to come before him with a broken heart. Rend my heart. Rend my heart like I would rend my garments in grief. The picture of that, when 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 you when uh, when you when the Bible talks about rending your garments, when you're crying, you're desperate, when you're just broken, and you just tear your clothes because you're just so broken. That's how we come to God with our heart. Inherently evil. Have you ever cried out to God because you realize how horrible you are, and how good He is, and you realize it is only because He's so good that you're still alive. <laughs> it's only because He's so good that you will have eternal life. As Christians, we have to understand this. There is no way we get into heaven by our own goodness. See, the word of God tells us he loves us where we are. He loves us. He died for us while we were still sinners. He's an everlasting, ever loving God. And that's why we have to rend our hearts before him. Ask him. See, I can't make you feel this. <laughs> I, can't, I can't put this feeling in your heart. But this is where, as believers, it is our responsibility to go before God and say, break my heart and show me how horrible I am and how you can still love me. Think of the person in your life that has hurt you the most and continues to hurt you and how you can love them and what, what that would do. That's, it's impossible, but God can love you. You feel like it's about how do I love this person? They keep hurting me. They keep, they, they keep doing things to me that just make me feel horrible. You want me to love them? Oh my gosh, that's so hard. We're going to talk about that though, but that's so hard. But, but that's what God's asking us to do. He does it for us every single day. You know, we are selfish human beings who call ourselves Christians, who try to serve God every day, but are we really? And yet he loves us. This is how merciful he is, right? Every one of us. You know, it's like, it's an acknowledgement. Sometimes I sit down and I'm like, oh, I can't believe God loves me. Why would he? Because I know what goes through my mind and I know what goes through my heart, right? And I'm never going to sit up here and pretend I'm something I'm not. He still loves us. The second thing is love the Lord your God with all your soul. I said soul and spirit, so we understand it. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to 9. I'm going to ask somebody online. Um, Josh, are you there? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. See, our soul and spirit, before we know God, we walk in the flesh and our spirit walks in the flesh. We desire the things of the flesh. We long for the things of the flesh. Right. We, we long for things that we know will give us the comfort. We are not familiar with the spirit of God because that's not where we've been living. So it's not a comfortable place for us to be. So it's more comfortable for us to be in the world, to be among people of the world sometimes and have conversations with the world because that's where our spirit's comfortable. But as we spend more time in the spirit of God, then we realize I'm not comfortable in this place anymore. And we've all experienced it, right? Like as we've been walking with God, our spirits start to change and we enjoy time with God more. And then we go hang out with some friends or we watch a movie or you know, the other day I was uh, during Christmas, I was just flipping. I had I had a free night, so I'm like, I'm going to watch a movie. I haven't watched a movie in a long time. And I'm flipping through and I'm watching a movie. And it's just suddenly, I'm like, many years ago, I would have sat and watched the whole movie. And then suddenly it was just incredibly offensive. I just couldn't watch it anymore. And I turned it off. And I was like, because I'm not familiar with that place anymore. To love our, the Lord our God with all our hearts, uh, our spirit and all our soul. It means to actually come into that place where his spirit becomes our spirit. We don't walk in the flesh anymore. The things of the flesh make us uncomfortable. Now the things of the spirit make us comfortable. When you start to feel that, praise God. It's not that we judge people. It's just that we're not comfortable there anymore. You know why we're not comfortable there anymore? Because we're going to spend eternity with God. He's already transforming us into that. Right? If you spend your entire life enjoying the things of this world and then you go to heaven, you're not going to be very comfortable there. 
right? But the transformation process, the justification process of us on this earth, it's actually taking us out of the things of this world that make us comfortable and bringing us to a place where those things are not comfortable anymore. Now being in the spirit is where we're comfortable. That's the place where we know we need to be. That's the place we were created to be in the presence of God. Now, the third thing we need to serve, uh, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. Now this, I, I've always asked God, I mean, how? Because I know what goes through my mind every day. We struggle with things in our mind. You know, the things in your mind determine what you do, how you think, what you do, how you feel, right? If you wake up in the morning thinking bad thoughts or feeling bad about yourself or thinking about what somebody said to you yesterday or thinking about what you don't have, that sets your day. That's how you're going to live your life. You know, one practice I make sure I do every morning is I wake up and I say, good morning, Father, I love you. And when I don't wake up and I say, good morning, Father, I love you, then I know I'm not thinking about the right thing. I have to switch my mind. Sometimes when I'm very caught up in my work, I wake up thinking about work and I can really feel the difference because <laughs> then I, I start, I wake up anxious, right? I wake up stressed. But when I wake up and I take the morning to just pray before him, it's, I set my mind on him. I'm learning to love him with my mind. He, God sees your mind. He sees our mind. He sees what we think. Sometimes we think, oh, I can be, I can be mean in my head. Nobody knows, right? Somebody can say something and I can, I can make a snarky remark in my head. Nobody knows. God knows. He hears it. He hears everything. That's the, he knows the intentions of our heart. If we do something, if we don't question our own intentions and our own mind, God will, right? And then when he sets us right, then we're like, oh, I feel so bad. But because he's asking us to love him with our mind. Colossians 3, 1 to 3. Um, can I get some? Oh, Josh is right here. Dora, can you read that one? Oh, wait. May I read? Did you read right? Yeah. Colossians 3. 1 to 3. 1 to 3. Um, I have an NLT. Yep. Perfect. You have been raised in new life with Christ, set your sight on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Amen. <clears throat> you know, how do you set your mind on the things above? Like, realistically, how do you set your mind on the things above? Do you just stop thinking about life, your responsibilities? Do you stop thinking about your work or your school? Or maybe do you make a choice that when you think about something, to not worry about it, right? Be anxious in nothing but all things in prayer and supplication to God. Is that one way to think about it? You see, we can spend a lot of time worrying. I'm very good at that, very good at worrying. I'm very good, I'm a professional warrior of the future, right? <laughs> I worry about tomorrow, I worry about 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, I'm like an aging, right? I, I worry about everything. And I'm learning that I can't control tomorrow. I, I have no control over tomorrow. The word of God says tomorrow is not promised. I don't even know if I'm gonna be here tomorrow, right? And so why would I worry about something I have no control over? When we set our mind on things above is when we truly set our mind on the promises of God. When we think, when we start worrying, it's like, do I have control over it? Does the word of God tell me not to worry about tomorrow? Does the word of God tell me to seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things? Does the word of God tell me to be faithful with what I have in my hands right now, to carry them out? And that's what I need to focus on. Does the word of God tell me to keep my eyes on him and on nothing else? That's what it means to set our minds on things above. It's not sitting in the corner reading scripture all day in your head. Because we can't. I mean, realistically, we're actually called to live this life. God tells us to be stewards of this life. He tells us to be, to be stewards of what we have. He tells us to be responsible mothers and fathers and daughters and sons and, and, and people. right? He tells us to be responsible. So we, he is asking us to do that. But how do we do? How do we control what goes through our mind? We completely, completely have control. I can choose to worry. I can choose. You know how when you get angry with somebody, you have that fight in your head with them? Yeah? You have an entire fight. It's like a whole fight. Knock down, drag out. 
And then they haven't been participating in the fight. Then when they walk in the room, you're just so mad at them. <laughs> they had no idea what happened. <laughs> but there's something just happened in your head, right? So you can choose to have those conversations and those, those altercations in your head, but or you can choose to stop and say, I have no control over this. You know, here's a fact. I learned this a long time ago when I did a, a biblical counseling class in, in Bible school. I cannot control anybody. And when I understand that fact and I let it go and just start praying for them, my life becomes a lot easier. I can't control anybody. Mm. I can't control my son. I can't control my husband. I mean, for a while, I could kind of determine what direction Jaden would go in. But, you know, after he turned 15, that all ended. Right. I can't control. I can't even control my dog. Sometimes I try. Right. I can't control anybody. I can't control the guy on the street that decides to cut me off. I can't control the decisions the company I work for makes. I can't control, I cannot control anybody, but I can pray. And when I pray, God makes things happen. Because you see, the God we serve was the same God that opened up the Red Sea. He was the same God. These are not stories. These are actual happenings. This is the same God that changed the heart of Pharaoh so many times until he let the people go. This is the same God that has moved mountains. And he like, God can do anything. So these are ways how we love God with our mind is choosing to take our thoughts away from what is not right to what is right. Loving God with my mind. Mm. Right? A lot of times we choose to, you know, jealousy is a huge thing. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And we spend so much time on that. And why don't I have this? Or why don't I have that? But that's not ours to have. Because God gives us all our needs. <clears throat> so that was the first and the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. And it's completely doable. It's completely what God has given us the capability of doing. He's given us the ability to love him with our hearts the way they are. If we will just rend our hearts before him. If we will just be comfortable in his spirit. Walking in his spirit. And if we will just turn our minds over to him. Take control of our thoughts. Are they from him or not? What do we spend a lot of time thinking? I wish I had a way I could like automatically journal my brain and then categorize my, and then I would see how much time I spent thinking about what's right. I think we would all be very surprised <laughs> by our thoughts. Now in Matthew 22, it says the second is equally important. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, we look at this and we're like, well, I'm a pretty nice person, right? I, I think I could love my neighbor as myself. But your neighbor is your friend. Your neighbor is your enemy. Your neighbor is the person that broke your heart or the person that hurt you. Your neighbor is the person that hates you. Your neighbor is the person that makes you very, very aggravated. Your neighbor is your colleague. Your neighbor is your spouse. Your neighbor is your children. Your neighbor is your parents. It's second, but equally important because we are incapable without Christ of loving others. We're not capable of that. However, he does tell us how to love and what it looks like. You see, love is not a feeling. Right? We have Valentine's Day coming up, and Valentine's Day is like the biggest curse to humankind. <laughs> it is, it really is. It wasn't, it's what it's not intended to be, right? Because if you're single, you feel depressed. If you're married, you're never happy, right? And so it's like, if somebody will post an Instagram picture or a Facebook picture and everybody gets depressed after that. It's not. It's a curse. I'm telling you. It's not biblical. Now, love is not a feeling. Feelings, and, and I, I was like looking it up because I was like, I know, I knew this. Love is a, it's a chemical reaction that happens in our body that God created to attract us to other people or to attract us to things, right? It's not a feeling. It's a, the feelings we feel are of attachment, of attraction, or even hatred, or to despise our reactions to experiences and events. But that is not what love is or is not. And I say this because love is a choice to keep going on. That's love. When there is love, it's because someone chose to stay in your life, despite what happened, right? Our children know we love us because we never leave them. Love cannot be obtained in any relationship without first learning to love God with all our heart, our soul, and mind. And that's the truth. Real love is the love we get from God. See, we know 
we learn to love love God and know that God loves us because God never leaves us. God never forsakes us. He's always there. If he says he's there, he's there. He's the most reliable person ever. Now, I say love is not a feeling. Because when you hate someone or are angry with them, or if you've been repeatedly hurt by them, or you're, you're actually still able to love them. You're like, how? See, for many years, I struggled with this. So I'm like, I have no feelings of love towards this person. It's impossible. But you see, love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. If you practice what love is, that means you, if you continue to be patient with this person, if you continue to be kind to them, right? When God tells us to love our enemies, he's not saying have a feeling of I love you. No, that's, that's not, it's not the feeling. But it's the action. It's like, are we going, are we going to continue to be kind to them? Don't be jealous of them. Don't let jealousy come into the relationship. Don't boast around them. Be humble. These people that heard us, be humble around them. Right? Don't be proud. Be flexible. Don't demand our own way, even though they do. Because love shows itself over time. Don't get irritated, pray for them, right? Don't keep an account of their every wrong so you can hold it up against them. This is why I hate you. You know, this is why you're so hard to love. Look, look at this list, right? Don't keep account of it because that's not love. Don't be happy when they get hurt. But be happy with them and God's truth reigns true in their lives because you're praying for them. Don't give up. Never give up on a person. You know, we had so many deaths in our life over the last couple of weeks. And I hope that none of them died with hatred in their heart or with somebody hating them. Don't give up. Don't lose faith. As believers, the one thing we have that nobody else has is we can pray for these people that we hate, <laughs> that have that have hurt us, that we're trying so hard to have these feelings of love. The feelings might never be there. But the love can always be there. Keep praying, always be hopeful. And the last and most important thing about love is to endure. You know, I have a great Bible study on Wednesday nights with Pastor Rochelle and another good friend of ours. And in that Bible study, we were just talking and we're sharing with the girls too. You know, when you're young in your 20s and your 30s, life is awesome. <laughs> you look at your future and like, it looks amazing. It's all rose colored lenses and everything's awesome. And then you, you get, you hit your 30s and then, and then life starts to happen. And then you're like, oh my gosh, this is hard. This is really, really hard. I was telling another friend, and she's like, yeah, you got to pay your gas bill. You know, <laughs> it's like things just happen and they become really real. People die, people get sick, you get responsibilities, right? Things get hard. Don't give up. Don't lose faith. The people that you're with, you're doing life with at that time, endure together. See, that's what love is. When God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love others as yourself, there are no feelings necessarily that need to be involved. It's not about, if I feel like I love God, then I love God. It's like, oh, let's go to a great worship service, and then we all feel like we love God. That's awesome. What happens after the feeling goes away? You go have a hamburger, and the feelings are gone. Then what happens after that? You stop loving God? Choosing to love God is a choice that we have to make every day. Choosing to love one another. See, you know, somebody made a comment to me. He said, our church has a certain type of people. I'm like, no. Our church is so full of very different types of people. And we've always been like this. Not, none of us are the same. We don't have any commonalities. We're different races, different culture, different backgrounds. Different. We're different people. The only thing that brings us together and why we sit together in this room and online is because we love God. And that is the only reason. And that's always been the reason. And so because we are all so different, we're always going to challenge each other. We're always going to challenge each other. We're always going to be different. We have different preferences, different likes. But we learn to love despite because that's what God's called us to do. You know, some, some people might like things a certain way. Some people might not. Love is so much more than a feeling. If we rely on our feelings to tell us when we love somebody, you're never going to love anybody for long. It just doesn't, it works like that. You know, I think the only thing is like maybe children, right? Because you're so bonded to them. But otherwise, every other relationship in your life, you're going to go through your ups and downs. And what happens? And a lot of people go into relationships and 
You say, oh, I love this person. Do you really? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If you truly love this person because of your feelings, that's a problem. But if you truly love this person because you made a commitment to God and you understand what love is, that's a different thing. Love is so much more than what we say with our mouth. It's dedication. You see, I don't say I love you to people very easily. Because a lot of what I believe is that if I love you, you will know I love you. And when I say I love you to you, you know I love you. Because love is not a cheap word. There is a price to pay for love. I think it's really important as believers, we don't cheapen the word just to say it to make somebody feel good. But put our blood on the line to show people how much we love them. Because we truly do. Because we have Christ in us. See, God doesn't go through the word of God constantly saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, because he's dealing with an insecure generation. He's shown us he loved us. He laid his life down. He made the ultimate sacrifice. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He did something for us. A lot of times we say, I love you, but there's nothing to follow it up. I love you, but sorry, I can't be there for you today or tomorrow or ever. Right? But love is what God does for us. So now that we understand what love is, and we go back to the law, if we take the law with the understanding of the love, there's never any complication because we come at it the same way. <clears throat> My prayer today is that we take some time to think about this, right? Because it's very easy to understand. It's like, I'm supposed to love God. This is not an action. It's not even a feeling. And if you feel conviction in your heart, praise God, I was very convicted preparing this message. Because the question I've always had for myself is, do I truly love God the way I need to be loving him? And do I truly love people the way I need to be loving them? And it really, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of introspection and asking God to examine my heart. Be, be brave enough and courageous enough every day to say, God, would you examine my heart? Would you examine who I am and make sure that who I say I am is who I am? Would you show me that what I'm doing, if what I'm doing is truly right? You know, we see ourselves, like I said, right? First, first reaction of our hearts is protect yourself. So you're always going to see yourself as being right. But can I take that time and say, can you look at my heart? Am I really right? Am I really doing much right? Am I really who I think I am? Am I right before you? Do I look right to you, God? Father, can you look at my heart? Because what I want to do is I want to be pleasing to him. And then, and leave it at that. Be pleasing to him. When we please God, we will always be right before others. That's a promise. So, you know, there's one thing that God showed me this morning. He said, because when we talk about hating someone or being angry with them and showing them love, one of the things I was thinking about is like, well, I'm there. Right? I'm there for them. Isn't that enough? I know they're, they're difficult to love, but at least I'm here. And he said, he sh showed me, this chair in my house is always here. This chair doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't go take a walk or leave me or anything. He's very, very consistent. He's always there. If I move him, he moves, but that's it. I didn't, it doesn't mean the chair loves me. Right? So if we're being a piece of furniture in somebody's life, thinking that this is good enough, maybe it's time to reflect in our heart and just ask God, am I truly showing your love? Am I loving? Is this what love means? Right? Love takes action. It really does. God made an action with his love. He gave his son. He sent his son. Then his son came down. He lived his life with us to show us what that love really looks like. He taught us the law again through the eyes and the perspective of love. And that's what he's calling us to do too. Amen. So I, that's all I have. Any, um, anybody wanna make a comment or you wanna add anything? Um, amen. Amen. Thank you. 
thank you, Jesus, for your awesome message today. I love, 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 because this is what this is all about. It's about love. It's about love. God loved us while we were still hostile to him before we knew him. And so blesses me. Pastor Jimmy, would you mind reading just one passage of scripture for me? And it's 1 John chapter 4, and I have you read verses 7 through 21. First John chapter four, verse seven. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as a proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his son to be savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Amen. Is that from the NLT? Yeah. Okay, amen. I love the NLT for understanding. But if you go back to the original language, that's why my favorite is NASB updated 95. Is that the Lord calls us to love everyone, not just Christians. Not just our Christian brothers and sisters. He calls us to love everyone. How do I know that? Because he says to love your enemies. To love your enemies because we were once enemies of God. And he loved us till we became his friend. He loved us till we became his family. We are called to be like our God. We're called to be like our Father. We're called to be like our Lord Jesus. To love and truly, as Pastor Jeannie has talked about, and, you know, is that it's not a feeling. Love is not a feeling, not for God and not for each other, because truly, as Pastor has said, See, feelings go away. And the reason that you can't love God based on feeling is because when your circumstances change, when life is not what you think it should be, when you are sick and not getting well, when your spouse has walked out on you, when you've been fired from that job, if you don't love God because you choose to love him no matter what, you will listen to the voice of the enemy that God doesn't love you. He'll listen to him say, God's mad at you. God is not present and he knows he, it's a lie because he is the father of lies. God loved us so much. He loved us and, you know, he loved us while we were his enemy. Don't you think he's going to continue to love us now that we're his? So I love, I love, I love this message. And, you know, truly, and loving each other, we got to love each other the way God loves us. The way God loves us. And if we don't, if we love short of that, is it love? Is it love? 
powerful message, Pastor Jeannie. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. All right. Um, if I may share one more uh, really powerful message, and I try to listen it from also for those who may be thinking, cool, how come as a Christian, I don't experience enough love from my Christian community? I think that's very common. So I want to address you know, some of those things. Um, first and foremost, I think anyone who's expecting love from a person um, will always find disappointment. And to the best of any Christians out there too. I think the the more important thing is to actually understand first love that is being taught here. Again, it goes back to love is not feeling. Love is something that uh, has to start with God, who who love us despite of our condition. And so, um, so the first part is uh, to experience love. We must seek the one who loves us the most, mm -hmm. which is God himself. The second one, though, uh, relates to all of us. I was thinking about love, and I realized that the Bible, God also wants us to love his law. This is not about law versus love, meaning once we love, law is useless. Um, to the point of, yes, law cannot save. That's true. Law is useless to save. But we must love the law, too. And so the scripture is Romans 13 uh, is probably the best way to describe what does it mean to love the law or what does it look like? Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10. And it reads like this. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And it describes how this person fulfills the law. It says, for this you shall not commit uh, sorry let me read again verse 9 for this you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet and if there is any other commandment it is summed up in the same you shall love your neighbor as yourself love does not wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of law and i think this is wonderful because the story about that young girl that Jeannie was talking about she was obeying all the potentially the law of her parents, but I would assume if she would draw a parallel to the law of the Ten Commandments, maybe she might have just like the young rich ruler in Matthew. Uh, was it Matthew? Yesterday we read yesterday. So the young ruler who's who who asked Jesus uh, about you know how to maintain righteousness and and Jesus told him you know, to fulfill the law. And he said, which one? And Jesus named a few. And finally, Jesus said, sell all your goods. And that's why he realized he couldn't do. He was obeying maybe to a certain degree of the law. But I think this is where a lot of Christians are constantly being looked at by the law and say, oh, I fail. The do's and the don'ts, the don'ts. I, I keep doing what the opposite is. Even Paul said that himself. What I wanted to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I find myself doing. But for the purposes of today's message about love, I think we can learn to, from passage, uh, from Romans here, to recognize, wow, if there's any given time and opportunity for me to love my brother, that is to what? That is not to murder my brother to begin with in my mind. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? Got to go to God. Relinquish the unforgiving issues and the stuff that is in our mind and recognize that, Lord, lead me to a path of love. When you do that, the law is fulfilled. Amen. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, and then trust him for the action that comes next. Mm -hmm. And I think this is really powerful because what happened is when someone had learned to love God's way, the law is fulfilled. Can you imagine that? This is not love your brother and then make sure you fulfill the law. This is all in one. So I want to point that out that, you know, uh, Christians who continue to live in God's path will find themselves not worrying about the law that much. So I just want to point that. Out. Um, this was really, really powerful. Thank you so much. I think the thing that came to my mind as I was listening is the phrase, well, that's legalistic. And it gave me a true understanding of 
when we hear something or learn something that is the law of God, we have to take it before God. Because if we just, um, what is the word, shun it or whatever, thinking, well, that's just being legalistic, where is my heart? <laughs> you know, where where am I coming from? Lord, what are you saying to me in this versus, ah, that's just the law, I don't have to deal with that. It's given me a whole different level of understanding legalism because that's usually a way of saying, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so thank you so much for this message. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to close and turn it over to Edmund for communion. communion. All right. Abba, Father, I thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. I ask, Father, that truly, Father, your word is living and active, and it will speak into our heart, Lord. I ask, Lord Jesus, that today, Lord, that your living and your active word, Lord Jesus, that divides born from marrow, Lord Jesus, that your living and active word speak into each heart that is listening. I ask, Father, that you will hear, that we will hear what you are saying to us individually. That, Father, that there will be no condemnation. But if there is conviction, that, Father, we will bring this conviction to you humbly and ask you to heal our hearts, to help us. Lord Jesus, you heard me cry to you this week. Father, help me. Help me with my heart. Help me with my mind. Help me with my choices. And Father, you heard me and you helped me. And Lord, I just pray, Father, that we will not be afraid to just cry out to you. Father, help me. Help me change the way I think. Help me change the way I act. Help me change the way I speak so that I'm pleasing to you. Even though the things I do, nobody sees, you see everything. And if my goal is to please you, then change me, Lord. So that I'm always pleasing to you. Father, I thank you because you are so faithful to us. And despite our faults and our weaknesses, you never leave us alone. Lord Jesus, I also pray, Father, that as we are in your word this week, yes. that each one, Father, will begin to see things they've never seen before. Yes. Because, Lord, your word says that your Holy Spirit himself brings enlightenment and teaches us your word and so father i pray lord as we are in your word this week that lord you will begin to open up things that we've never seen before things that will change our minds and change our hearts things that will take away our anxiety and know even more how we can trust you you have so much evidence of your faithfulness in your word lord jesus i pray that you that each one will begin to find it Father, we love you. We honor you with this time. We honor you with our lives. Lord, we ask, Lord, let us always be a pleasure, a pleasure for you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Abba Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Um.